You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We welcome you along to the programme. And needless to say, yet again, all of the newspapers today have photographs and lots of column inches talking about the large crowds who gathered amid really, really emotional scenes in Clamel uh, last night. The community very much rallying together following the tragic loss of four young people in that car crash on Friday evening. And it it struck me when I heard the news coming through, because obviously Clamell is my hometown. When I heard the news coming through on Friday, we'd been talking about the excitement of the Leaving Cert results and saying to Leaving Cert students, you know, these results don't define you. And and one of the uh, pieces I mentioned towards the close of the programme on Friday was for the young people, you know, to celebrate their achievements and, you know, hopefully everybody was going to be happy with their results and to celebrate safely. Little did I know that in my own hometown this devastating news uh, was going to break. Now on Sunday mass services had uh, were also held in all of the churches honouring Luke McSweeney who was 24 and he was driving his younger sister Grace and her two friends Zoe Coffey and Nicole Murphy all 18 and he was driving them because they were heading off to Leaving Cert um, exam results. There was a celebration that what the tradition in Clamell is a lot of the young people go to Carlo because there's a big nightclub in Carlo and they hold a Leaving Cert exam results night so there was buses organised so of course big, the, the girls had all come around to the McSweeney house to get ready. That would have happened in so many homes homes um, all over the country and Luke, the big brother, he was dropping them down to the, the bus. There had been really, really bad rain showers. You know when you almost are like cloud bursts around that time and I know there's a guy, the investigation going on, going on and people can only speculate at this stage but they are thinking that the heavy rain and then the water that was on the, the ground, you know, people are speculating that the car may have, that aquaplaned because it is, I know the area so well, it is a very steep road. The mountain road is a very very, very steep uh, hill and that corner, uh, Hillview Tennis Club, where God knows I spent so much of my childhood. That's where the car flipped over and ended up embedded in the wall just at the entrance into uh, Hillview uh, Tennis and Pitch and Put uh, Club. So whether the weather, it, it does look like the weather may have played uh, a factor, as I say, more. There is a guard investigation at the moment. But close on about 2,000 people, they reckon, turned out at the vigil at uh, Kickham Plaza yesterday evening. Uh, classmates of Grace, Zoe and Nicole and obviously friends of Luke. Uh, and the first responders were there and God knows what the first responders, when they got that call that there had been a car accident, your heart would go out to them. And I even heard you know, some of the members of Angarda Chiacona saying, you know, in all of their years working, they'd never come across a scene like it. It was just dreadful. And at the vigil last night, young people were seen hugging, comforting uh, each other. The mayor of Clamel, Richie Malloy, um, addressing the crowd, saying that the tragedy was the worst in living memory. And Father Michael Toomey, actually, we've spoken with Father Michael Toomey before. I'm trying to think what was the last time and something to do with First Holy Communion, I'm sure. I remember speaking with Father Michael Toomey on the programme. Anyway, he also happens to be chaplain at the local boys' school, the, the, the secondary school, CBS High School. He said everybody in Clamel and across the country had been left speechless by the tragedy. And that's the one thing that struck me. Obviously, I felt very close to it, it being my hometown. I just couldn't 
it, it, it was it, it's one of those tragedies that really has affected the whole country. I mean, I think the entire nation were thinking of the families and the friends of those young uh, people. Uh, Father Toomey at the vigil last night was urging the community to stick together in the time ahead. Um, the vigil in Clamel uh, closed then with the playing of the song Rise Up and that seemingly prompted tears from so, so uh, many people in in the congregation. And of course, as the community is reeling from the tra- tragedy, <coughs> tributes started to pour in from around the country. Michael D. Higgins, our president, was one of the first, along with the Taoiseach, uh, who all expressed condolences. Leo Varadkar said for young lives so full of possibility to be cut short in this way. He said, truly devastating, heartbreaking. He says the whole nation uh, mourns. Uh, President Higgins says the grief that has been expressed by the community is nearly unbearable. And he sent deepest sympathies to the family and indeed to the whole community. The Minister for Further and Higher Education, Simon Harris, described the incident as devastating news. He said, leaving Sir Results Day represents achievement, celebration and excitement. And he said tonight has been replaced by grief, shock and sadness. And Father Billy Meehan, who's been a parish priest in St Mary's in Clamell for many, many years, my heart really went out to uh, Father Billy because he got the call about the accident and he went up obviously then to administer last rites uh, to the victims. But it was only when he arrived and he was that he realised who was involved in this accident because he's had a huge link with the McSweeney family in that he he married Paul and Bridget, uh, their parents, and he also baptised uh, Luke and uh, Grace. And he said, it, you know, it just brought home to him how fickle life can be, that in the space of 24 hours, your whole world uh, could be, you know, turned around. And he said it really struck him, you know, he had baptised these children into the faith and set them on their faith journey and here he was giving them absolution and anointing them as they were laid out on the, the tarmac on the side of the road. It's just absolutely uh, heartbreaking. And obviously I'd heard on Friday night that there had been this dreadful accident and that four young people had passed away. Obviously no names had been mentioned or uh, whatever. But it was only the next day then when a family member contacted me that I realised who the McSweeney's were, uh, Grace and uh, Luke. Their brother, their dad, Paul, had been one of my teenage friends you know, as teenagers, when you hang out with a large group of, you know, local, we, we all lived in the neighbourhood. We were from various housing estates and we used to all hang out in what we affectionately called the backfield. We'd meet, we'd all meet the boys in the backfield and the boys would meet the girls in the backfield. And we just had a great friendship. We, it was one of those teenage friendships where... It went on for many, many years and obviously then we all left school and everybody went about uh, their own ways and I haven't been in contact with Paul since then and then to realise that it's his two beautiful children that are going to be buried in the in the coming days. Absolutely heartbreaking. And then you've got to think of this class of uh, 23 and I saw it was the girls <coughs> from the presentation conference in Clamell they had got these polo uh, shirts done up with pink, gorgeous pink uh, polo sweatshirts. And, you know, the class of 23 was written across it. They obviously got it as part of their graduation. And to see them all standing in a line at the front of the vigil last night, you're thinking, oh, my God, they're all the classmates of uh, two of the girls because two of the girls went to the presentation and uh, Grace went to Loretta Convent where I would have gone to school. And actually the accident happened just beside the uh, Loretta Convent. And I was thinking this class of uh, 23, we had uh, just after the Leaving Cert, 
all of the Leaving Cert holidays, many young people going abroad on holidays. And we have that dreadful tragedy, those two really sad deaths on the Greek island of Eos, two Leaving Cert uh, students from the, the same school in Dublin, both passed away, Max Wall and Andrew O'Donnell. They were both 18-year-olds. And then we remember a number of weeks ago the crash that happened in County Monaghan that left two exam students dead. They were on their way to their Debs. Kia McCann, 17, she was a Leaving Cert student and Dalava Mohammed was a, a junior cert student, but they were both on the way to the Debs. So, like, your heart really would go out to this class of of uh, 2023 uh, and of course the Road Safety Authority have been out and you know they're talking about there has been a sharp rise in the number of deaths on our roads so far this year when you compare it to last year we're going to finish this year and it's just going to be it's going to be one of those years we're going to look back and think my God so many lives lost people who went out to celebrate people who went out to do normal everyday things and they just never came home. Uh, Liz O'Donnell said she was utterly saddened by the tragic accident that claims the lives of the four and she went on to convey her sympathies on behalf of everybody involved in the Road Safety Authority. And I can already see some of your comments coming in uh, this morning. Uh, Mary says, Hi Patricia, what a sad, sad weekend for those uh, families. My sympathies going uh, to all of the families and to their friends. I was so sad when I opened the paper yesterday and saw the car. Hopefully the people weren't inside when that photograph was taken. I don't think that car should have been shown. I thought that was very upsetting. Yeah, unfortunately, somebody went and took drone footage and some of that drone footage then was shown or there was pictures taken from the drone footage. I know exactly the photograph that you are uh, talking about. Um, and yeah, it, were, were the bodies still in the car? I imagine they were because I know the first responders had huge problems getting access to the four. I mean, they were desperately trying to see where the four alive. They couldn't just flip the car over for fear of doing more damage. So then because it was buried into the side of the wall, it just, it made the work of the first responders all the more difficult. But yeah, I mean, to have to, have to hear the guard they're coming out and saying, you know, would people please stop sharing the drone uh, footage then, you know, just delete it and just just horrific how with social media, the way it's gone now and it's all so instant and we're getting the news so instantly. But this is at a time when family members still had to be uh, contacted. Thanks for your text, Mary. And Micah says, my sincere condolences to the families, friends and the communities that probably don't know what day of the week they have with the shock and the pain and the grief following Friday evening's shocking accident. Leaving cert results represents a lifetime achievement for the young people that marks a milestone from childhood to adulthood, for young lives to be cut short in such a sudden way, no words can explain. It'll take a long time, probably never, for Clamel and the hinterland to get over this horrific uh, crash. May their gentle souls rest on the arms of the angels in peace. Amen. Talking about the inappropriate use of drone footage with that horrific accident in Clamel. Here's a suggestion for appropriate use of drone footage. And uh, your thoughts welcomed on this. Um, Adrian contacted us over this over the weekend. This was in reaction to a piece we did on Friday's programme about dog fouling on our beaches. And that led to people saying that they'd witnessed people just leaving their dogs off, running up and down uh, the beach and nobody cleaning up after their dogs. And the, the problems that that can cause, particularly for little children going out building sandcastles, uh, etc. So uh, Aidan contacted us by email to say, said perhaps a suggestion 
of providing drones for dog wardens so that you could have one dog warden for each beach that would be sufficient. Based at a strategic place at the beach, the dog warden could fly the drone at intervals. The drone would record footage as it's flying over the beach. Then that footage could be used to prosecute people because you'd have the video evidence that somebody didn't clean up after their uh, dog. Would that not be a positive way, particularly for protecting our beaches from dog fouling? I don't think that's a bad, bad suggestion. Uh, but I suppose with the whole GDPR, you wouldn't be allowed to do it. 0818 103 103. John Paul, taking your calls. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at C103.ie. Cork today on C103. Now, the government has been urged to hold off on the next increase in excise duty on petrol and diesel, with the Irish Petrol Retailers Association saying this week's hike should be delayed until at least next year. To talk about the current prices at the pumps, I'm joined by Blake Boland, Head of Communications at AA Ireland. Good morning to you, Blake. Good morning, Patricia. Now, I think everybody can see it, uh, both petrol and diesel prices. Every time I seem to pass my local forecourt, it seems to be going up. Can you explain to us why? That's right. Yeah, they, they, you know, you're, you're spot on there. They are going up and we issue our fuel price survey every month. And in July, we were reporting petrol at 165 and diesel at 155. And it was steady over the previous few months, crept up there a little bit in, in August with petrol going up to about 170 and diesel at 164. But as I sit here, um, I'm looking out the window and I can see diesel now approaching 170 and petrol past 170. So there's a lot going on in the background um, that are kind of driving the prices up a little bit. And as we've spoken about, or as you've mentioned before, you have you are due to come in and that the prices up a bit more again. I've got an issue with the. I'm. I don't know whether something is. Will we go with the the normal phone line, John Paul? Um, okay, we're gonna we're gonna leave. We were trying to do it on WhatsApp, but our broadband is just playing up like crazy. So we'll get Blake back on a normal phone uh, line because I'm I'm assuming if you've been filling up with petrol or diesel uh, lately, uh, you will have noticed as well that the prices are just going up all of the time. It it really is just so annoying. Okay, let me go to. Can we get Blake on? Um, he's on. Here he is. Okay, let me push this. Okay, Blake, you're back with us. We'll go back with the traditional phone line. Sorry about that. That's no problem. Yeah, okay. you can hear me fine. Now. Uh, perfect. Now, okay, you were explaining to us why it's it's going up. You're you're saying it's up at the 170 mark now already for both petrol and diesel. Yeah, so we, we had seen like Brent crude oil at you know around $100 back in September, and it dropped off quite significantly. It was down to about 72 there a few weeks ago, but it's, it's creeping back up now, and as I checked it this morning, it was 84.70. But uh, there's obviously a lot, of, a lot of other pressures on that as well. So we've had indications from Saudi Arabia that they were going to keep up that reduction um, of a million barrels a day, and Russia have also indicated that they're going to reduce capacity as well for, for oil production. So as you can imagine, that puts a little bit of pressure on the market. Um, a lot of the, the prices kind of derive from, from analysts um, and, and uh, stocks and just making sure, you know, people trying to predict where prices are going to go. And, and as a result, they've gone up. But as we've, we've mentioned already, uh, excise duties are due to come back in and that's going to put those prices up again in the, the near future. Why do they decide to reduce production? 
you know, that, that would be great. If we could answer that question, myself and you, Patricia, we'd be in, in different jobs, you know. Um, yeah. But obviously they're trying to maintain certain market prices. Um, there's, there's big business at play here, of course. Um, and they're trying to predict uh, global output around the world, what other countries are doing, where demand is at. Um, seasonality also comes into it. And we've had a lot of disruption to supply chains as well. So with the invasion of the Ukraine, um, there's been obviously a lot of bans on Russian products and Russian-derived products, and this causes issues for supply chains. And we even saw that with deliveries of you know shoes that we might have bought online or something like that over the last year or so. Uh, so that really does have a kick-on effect down the line. And there's also just costs are increasing in general. So your your local garage, um, you know, staffing costs, uh, rates they're having to pay, their own fuel, electricity prices. There's there's a lot of different pressures there. Okay, so from next Friday, the excise restoration, this is number two, kicks in. By how much, remind us? Yeah, so on September 1st, we're seeing the second of three tranches of of this. And it's just important to note as well that this isn't necessarily an increase, it's a restoration. So this is the duties that were cut. But, you know, around this time last year, we saw prices in around 220 and the government reduced the excise. So to answer your question, on September the 1st, we're going to see 7 cents on petrol and 5 cents on diesel. But unfortunately, as we said, there is a third um, increase or restoration coming in and that's a further 8 cents on petrol and a further 6 cents on diesel so that's a total of 15 cents on petrol and 11 cents on diesel over the next few weeks and as the market sits at the moment if nothing else changes we're going to see petrol up in the kind of late 180s you know that 185 to 190 mark and we're going to see diesel in and around that mid 180s that's if nothing else changes now the government introduced the cut to excise. Was it? It was in twenty twenty two, some stage last year. I know they extended it, and at that stage, prices were close to two euro a litre, wasn't it? I mean, we're, we seem to be almost getting close to that again. It was even above that. Uh, was it? We, we saw, yeah, we saw prices in and around that two twenty mark. Obviously, it's going to be different depending on where you are in the country, and it, it inflates and, and deflates all the time. But yeah, it was in and around that that two twenty mark. And at that stage, there was then a, a very conscious decision to cut down on those excise duties. Um, but with prices creeping back up, that pressure is now mounting on the government to, um, if not reduce the duties, but even just to not reintroduce these two levels that we just spoke about there a moment ago. What's your What's your instinct telling you? Do you think they will move on this? It's very difficult to say. It's going to be very unpalatable for, for the current government to do that. So it, it seems, um, let's say, that the government are encouraging us to leave our car behind at the moment. So they, they're not looking to do... To, to make steps like that. So there's obviously going to be a lot of pressure on them, um, but they, they certainly won't want to do it. But considering the cost of living crisis that people are going through at the moment, uh, that, that pressure is, is mounting to a very, very high level. I think the annoying part, Blake, for people is the fact that the government, they could afford to hold off on this. They don't need the money urgently. Yeah, it, and you know, depending on which um, government minister or government official you, you speak to, um, they're going to say, well, they, they, they do need the money, they need to raise duties. Um, and we're seeing this uh, as we switch over to, to electric vehicles in general, that that tax take is, is decreasing. So the money, you know, to put it bluntly, Patricia, the money has to come from somewhere. Yeah, I know. And, but it, yet again, it seems to be the hard-pressed motorist. And, and I'm very conscious, Blake, that there are a lot of people here in Cork living in very rural areas where a car uh, is not a luxury. It's a necessity just to get from A to B. That's right, yeah. And we just mentioned there a moment ago that the governments are, are just to 
I suppose the phrase that they're discouraging people from taking their car, but there's very much a divide there. Um, you know, if you're if you're living in Dublin city centre or very close to Dublin city centre, you've got the Lewis, you've got the Dart, you've got lots of buses. Perhaps there's a bike lane for you. You could maybe even walk into work if it's twenty minutes or something like that. But as you say, when we we talk about rural Ireland, there's very much a divide there, and and that's one of the concerns that that we have in in the AA is just that this transition that we're making, and if the government are going to be encouraging people out of cars that it has to be a just transition. It needs to be fair. It can't hit the people that are being hurt the most at the moment by this, this cost of living crisis. You mentioned electric cars. You were driving an electric car for about the last six years now, isn't it? Um, I, I do, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I how, do. how are you faring out with costs? So I'm... It's it's substantially cheaper. Um, okay. And we have now introduced EV prices. So we had the petrol and diesel, you know, fuel price survey from the AAR every month. But we've introduced EV pricing into that. So it's still significantly cheaper in general. And if you want to break it down, it kind of depends on where you charge it. Now, if you drive around the, the county, you know, you might see petrol and diesel prices differing two, three, four cents, something like that. And you could drive a kilometre down the road. But with EV pricing, the difference is actually very, very substantial. It can be four, five, six times the difference. And just to give you an example of that, what we do is we work out the average Motors in Ireland drives about 17,000 kilometres a year. And if we work out fuel prices depending on how they charge it, if you charge exclusively on the public network, you're looking at just over €2,000 a year to cover that distance. However, if you've got a smart meter at home, you've got a night boost rate, and you're you're only paying in and around €400 for that 17,000 kilometres. That's a big difference. It's absolutely gigantic. Now, obviously, you have to have a smart meter. and Not everybody can do that. Not everybody can park their car in their driveway. Yeah. But um, it, it is substantially cheaper. But EV drivers are still frustrated at the moment because we saw the price of electricity. And this goes for, for yourself and me and at, at home, the unit that we're paying, you know, the, the, the price of each unit is quite high at the moment. And EV drivers are, are paying higher rates. Now, we saw Pinergy have just had their second price drop there. Yeah. And uh, the other ones, we believe, are going to start dropping. So it's, it's looking better for EV drivers, but they're still a little bit frustrated because that price of electricity is pegged to the, the wholesale price of, of gas in, in international markets. Well, we were only talking last week about the energy prices in this country. We're the highest in, in Europe. We pay, I think it's, it's close to a €1,000 a household a year extra above the EU average. So we're cut every which way. That, that's right, yeah. It's, it's hugely expensive, and as we just mentioned, that gets passed on to EV drivers. Now, it should drop. The wholesale price of gas has come down, which uh, which we, we pegged the, the price of electricity against largely. But we are very much dependent on, on importing um, fuel in Ireland. Um, there are, there's great potential there for, for wind um, energy, you know, generation of renewable energy. Uh, down the line, we're seeing a lot more of that, but that that will take time. And and as you said, we are paying a massive amount, and far more than a lot of our European counterparts. Okay, I mean, I, and I mentioned in my introduction that it was the Irish uh, Petrol Retailers Association who were calling on the government uh, to hold off on the excise uh, duty. They're also insisting that they're not profiting from the rising prices of petrol and uh, diesel. And I can already see some of our listeners saying it's price gouging is is going on. Where do you sit with that? Would you do you defend the retailers that they they have to set the price based on what they buy in the petrol and diesel at? Yeah, well, some people can be. Like, there's a lot. 
hedging is, is done here. So this, this is what we see where we can see the, the price of, of Brent crude and the other oil prices going up and down. And companies have to hedge. They they can't just, just buy each day and get that delivered into the local station. There's obviously a long, long process between it coming out of the oil fields and getting into your, your car, you know, as refined fuel. So they have to hedge in future, and that's quite difficult to do and anticipate. Uh, but a lot of the, the fuel retailers are, are making some of their, their money on when you go into the shop and you want to buy a coffee on the way. So some people can be actually quite surprised that it, it's not as much as they anticipated that they're earning. Um, and, you know, give or take half of that price actually is, is on duties and, and taxes. Yeah. So, but look, it's, it's um, I'm, I'm not privy to their, their accounts and I don't want to speak on, the, on their behalf, but um, there's, there's a lot of other costs that are going into that, as you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. and Marian Bandon was in uh, Killarney earlier this morning. She, uh, petrol and uh, the price of petrol at a petrol station uh, was 173 and 175, obviously one for diesel, one for petrol. When she spoke with the attendant, he said to her, fill up, missus, because at the end of the week, there'll be an extra 10, 9 or 10 cent on it. Obviously, he's talking about the excise duty uh, as well. All right. Okay. Listen, Blake, we leave it there. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for talking. Good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Blake Boland, who's head of communications at AA Ireland. Doesn't have the greatest of uh, news for us, but certainly fill up before Friday if you need to get petrol or diesel because you can be guaranteed there is going to be an increase uh, with the excise duty, seven cent on the petrol and an extra five cent on diesel. And that's not allowing for it if petrol and diesel itself goes up as well during the week. I really hope everyone listening is over their breakfast at this stage as my next topic may just turn your stomach ever so slightly. West Cork Independent Councillor Paul Hayes says beachgoers are defecating in bushes and back gardens at Long Strand and uh, he has been shown photographic evidence to prove it. Councillor Paul Hayes uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Paul. Morning, Patricia. Uh, now this really, I'm very well, this really is stomach uh, turning to say at uh, the least. But this is purely down to lack of public toilets at our beaches, isn't it? It is, unfortunately. And look, I know we've we've discussed this topic uh, ad nauseum, I suppose, in, in the past. And, and look, I, I and my colleagues in, in the council have asked for you know, facilities to be, you know, installed even on a temporary basis, um, you know, in, in recent years, especially for the busy summer period. So, like, we'd, we'd usually start, you know, maybe in January and February, you know, asking council officials about providing these facilities. And, like, here we are at the end of uh, August now. Essentially, the summer is, is, is over and done with, and the kids are going back to school. And yet again, another summer has passed and no facilities at the Long Strand, you know. And 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 the the committee behind the Castle Freak, um, our woods, our walks. I mean, they're particularly frustrated. They're putting a lot of work in, uh, and they're let down. They feel by the lack of public amenities. Absolutely, yeah. I, like I, I liaise closely with uh, uh, Castle Freak, our woods, our walks committee. Like, and they're a voluntary group, but like absolutely fantastic amount of work going on in the area. You know, promoting the the the, the trails and the lovely wooded walks, and you know, have applied for grants succeeded in getting grant aid for, you know, putting up lovely signage and all of that. Like so all of that has been going on behind the scenes. Um but unfortunately all that fantastic work is being undermined by a lack of absolute just the basic amenities of a public toilet. And as you say, you know, in, in recent months, you know, residents have brought to my attention that people are, are going to the toilet in their gardens and um in some cases they're actually knocking on the door saying, Can we use your facility? Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, and and are people obliging? Well, I think look, sometimes look if they're small kids and things. I know, there, I you know. know. Like you, you, you probably let them in, but um, 
look, I suppose it's not ideal and it's, it's, it's certainly, you know, it shouldn't be expected, you know, that, that local residents are picking up the slack, you know, to, to let strangers into their homes to, to use their toilet facilities. Like, that. that's just not, not, not on. And and I know you've seen the photographic evidence. I know Jackie Kyo was writing about it in the Southern Star and she had a picture. You can see the toilet paper. Like, people are bringing... You the- can, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, as I said, I, I've attended a number of meetings in, in the last number of months with the with the walks committee and, and like they've shown me photographs of, of, of used toilet paper and wet wipes, oh, you, know, you know, and, and obviously, you know, the, the fee says itself, you know, uh, and it's it's appalling. Like, I mean, you know, as I said, look, most people will, will, will kind of make their way back to Clannacilty or Ross Carberry or over to Ardfield or somewhere, but look, when, when some people are caught short, they, they're caught short, yeah. yeah no, the, no, just to remind us, there was toilets back in the 80s, wasn't there? There were, yeah, like it was a frequent spot that we'd go to for for a, a summer or a, a Sunday drive when we were small, and uh, even back in the in the tough times in the eighties, that there was uh, a public toilet available uh, at the Long Strand. Um, I think it was the early two thousands when that actually closed. Again, I suppose it was down to maybe lack of maintenance. You know, the, the, we, we've discussed it in the past there, but the lack of council outdoor staff maintaining facilities, like so. This this fell victim to that as well, and it was it was closed, you know, more often than it was open, um, and then it was transferred to Irish Water, who are Ishka Aaron now, uh, and they essentially what they're doing now with it is, is treating water with it. Um, but again, we, we would have had discussions with the council officials over recent years, and we were always of the impression that um, a line of communication was open with Irish Water to possibly explore, um, you know, maybe doing up the building uh, and to be able to. Like share the space with them essentially that they wouldn't need the full building for what work that they're doing in there, mm. and we might be able to um, you know adapt the building to just maybe have a, a universal access toilet uh, in there. But again, we we were kind of I suppose we were asking officials you know for for temporary um, solutions while you know we were waiting on this this more permanent structure to be complete. But then at one of our meetings before we broke for summer. The officials informed us that they, they weren't in touch with Irish Water anymore and that they weren't exploring that option. So so there isn't even, you can't even say there's planning in, in the pipeline? No, no. Um, That's we disappointing. Told, yeah, we, we were told at the start of the summer that like a very vague uh, you know, message from the officials to say that they were liaising with third parties with a view to tr- providing a service out there. But as I said, we've asked in May, June, July and August and um, nothing, nothing at all at all. And as I said, all the while residents and uh, the, the committee members from Castle Freak are are texting me and other public representatives looking for an update. And again, we we have nothing nothing to tell them. No, we we don't have any updates, unfortunately. And as I said, another summer has slipped by. And as as, as Breda Coomey or, or the chairperson of the committee said, you know, the toilet paper is literally blowing in the wind out there. And, you know, exactly, exactly what you don't want blowing in the breeze. Um, and Jim has what seems like a pretty reasonable suggestion. Why don't they use portaloos if you can't have proper public toilets? Have portaloos been looked at? We, we, we have requested those. Um, if, if you remember, you know, during and after COVID, there was a lot of you know, effort put into the whole outdoor space and, you know, people enjoying of the nature as we, as we couldn't gather in people's houses and, and uh, as normal. So, you know, so they were actually portable and, and, and 
toilets put in in a number of locations around West Cork and, and beyond, including Long Strand, and they were a great, great, great asset. Uh, I suppose you know we, we were asking for them to be left there all the time, but the council, I suppose, officials said we didn't have the budget for it, so they were removed after the summer. But again, we, I and my colleagues in the council would have said, can we at least get the temporary portaloos? They were actually, you know, slightly better than the portaloos, but. Look, anything would 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 uh, would would help at this stage. Um, uh, but yeah, as the, our our request for a temporary uh, facility that was turned down to on the premise that you know something was 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 afoot with third parties, and uh, again the officials were quite vague about it. They wouldn't give us any further details as to who they were uh, in discussions with. And as I said, the summer has passed. And, yeah. You know, and back and back again to costs yeah. being put forward as the argument. A caller is saying, "How come whenever you go to Kerry, go ahead, every single beach has public toilets? If Kerry County Council can do it, why can't Cork?" Yeah, I agree. I, I, I spend a bit of time down there myself, and um, like I was at Inch Beach again, again there recently, and like the toilets and the shower facilities, all the things that we're asking for, you know, that I would I would regard to be basic amenities. Um, I know I saw online over the weekend issues at Gary Lucas and you know plans that were afoot there around Gardstown for fantastic facilities that haven't progressed either. So as I said, as an elected rep, you know, liaising with the public, it, it's it's very, very frustrating in, to get what I would regard to have something really very simple and very basic done. Um, and as I say, yeah, our neighbours across the border and, and in other counties seem to be able to manage it and to include it in their annual budgets, but we, we just just seem to be up against it here unfortunately Okay, keep flying the flag Paul and uh, thank you for that and thanks for joining us this morning thanks Patricia good morning to you that is West Cork Independent Councillor Paul Hayes
Elton John along with Kiki D on C103 and Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Peter was on. He always gets frustrated when he's hearing councillors talking uh, because he said at the end of the day, councillors are elected by we, the people. Uh, and yet they get into power and then they have to go to the officials uh, it, that the various local authorities who are not elected by us, the people. If it's meant to be a democracy, why are those that we are elected, why are they not allowed to make the rules and the regulations? A lot of commentary uh, coming into the programme. Can I just update you on a kind of a good news uh, story? Remember last Friday we had a phone call to a gentleman called Frank Bulger who was from New Jersey and he spoke to us because he had discovered a message in a bottle that was written by some girl in Ireland called Aoife. He was on a campaign to try to find out who Aoife was. She'd put the message in the bottle into the sea sometime in 2019. That's all he knew but there was no forwarding address, there was no email address, no phone number, no nothing. Well an update on that is uh, they have discovered that the, the, letter, the letter in a bottle writer was is Aoife Byrne. Aoife is from Bray in uh, County uh, Wicklow. She has made contact with uh, Frank and his wife uh, Karen. They've actually spoke to each other by phone and just to prove Aoife has actually written a letter. <laughs> she has sent it to Frank and Karen just to prove that it is her handwriting but they have made contact and they have had a, a conversation which is fantastic. Uh, well done. Glad to see there's a good news story on that. Um, this is one, the uh, listener. Um, this is just showing how tough it can be for single people over 70 living on their own trying to face all of the other bills that are out there. Patricia, I am in my 70s and still working part time and paying tax but I am not entitled to a medical card because I've got investments over €36,000 and that's what the cut off part for a means tested medical card. You've got the investments can't be over 36072 if it's a couple but if you're on your own it's just 36. I have that 36000 due to hard work and savings all my life. I now understand that the district nurse is not allowed to call to me to dress my leg. I've got ulcers on my leg and because I don't have a medical card the district nurse can't call. I've now been told I have to go to the Mercy Hospital in Cork to have those dressings done. A discretionary a, distre- a discretionary card by the way is also means tested. Why are the over 70s penalised for working still and people who never worked a day in their life seem to get everything. That's so frustrating. Yeah I think when she hits 70 I think you should be getting a medical card and that's it. And there shouldn't be any questions about how much you have in savings and how much you have in investing in investments. But yeah, it's shocking to think you have to get in the car now and drive to the Mercy Hospital where if you had your medical card, the district nurse could call to your house. That's upsetting for sure. 0818 103 103. We were taught... Oh, there's also a text in that I want to get to before I get to the other issues that we've been addressing that people have been commenting on. And this is to do with COVID. And there is a lot of COVID out there at the moment. I keep hearing of people that I personally know who have either come down with COVID or a family member have come down with uh, COVID. And a listener is on just looking for advice from others who perhaps recently has, have, has had COVID. Could you offer me advice, please? I started to feel unwell about 10 days ago and I began testing myself for 
for COVID-19. On the first day, I was negative, but then on the second day, I had a positive test result. I've had a horrible 10 days since where I haven't been able to leave my house. I feel uh, the life has been sucked out of me. Now, I did ring my doctor for advice a few days ago and the doctor said, you need to self-isolate for five days. But because I'm still testing positive, I'm continuing to isolate and I really don't know how much more of this I can take. Do you or are your listeners have any idea why a person can still be positive after 10 days and what do I do? Please warn your listeners, there's a lot of COVID out there at the moment and to respect others as it's amazing that some shops have removed the trolley and basket sanitising facilities. I'm not an elderly person and I can tell you COVID has not been pleasant thanking you. Could you please ask Annalise later on to recommend any supplements to take after COVID? Absolutely. I'll get John Paul to make a a note of that uh, text and I absolutely will get advice from from Annalise. I know the the guidelines say that you can still test positive. It sometimes can be the type of test that you're actually using is giving you a positive result when really you're actually negative. But the guidelines are that once you test positive, you you then isolate for five days and regardless of your test results showing positive or negative, you are okay to go out. But I know you're absolutely doing the right thing because you keep getting these positive tests. Uh, you keep feeling that you should be staying indoors. But I mean, you've done everything right. Your 10 days are over. And even though it can still be showing positive, you won't you won't be able to pass it on to anybody else. What I would suggest maybe that you do is get onto the HSC and see if maybe they could send you, I don't know if they're still doing PCR tests, but maybe they could send you for a PCR test. I did hear of people in the early days who just were never getting negative results and they were told by the HSE and by their doctors they were no longer contagious and they were okay to go to go out and about even though they never got a negative test. You could be just unlucky to be one of those people or it could be the type of antigen test that you're actually using. So maybe put a call through the HSE and explain what you've explained to us and see what they say. They may be able to send you for a PCR which obviously is a more definitive test but you've certainly done everything right You've done way more than your five days of isolation, so you are okay to go out. But it sounds like you're one of those people that has been left with the after effects of COVID. And God knows we hear that a lot, particularly on Annalise's slot. We regularly get calls in from people who are saying, you know, weeks later, they're still feeling very run down after uh, COVID. But you are right to put out that warning to people. There is a lot of COVID out there at the moment. So people, please, please be careful. We were talking about beaches and... uh, lack of toilets facility at some of our beaches. Councillor Declan Hurley was listening to Councillor uh, Paul Hayes and he says, Morning Trish, Cork County Council suck at providing public toilets. Another example for you today is Ballinine and Enniskeen. The outdoor staff member there retired. So they closed the public toilet and they went on to demolish it without any notice to us or to the general public. The members are now at loggerheads with the council to get those public toilets reinstated. And you know, if you're out and about on a day out and if you have small children with you who don't understand, you've got to hold on to it until we get to a toilet. And But you don't want people, as Paul was outlining, toilet paper blowing in the breeze on the sand dunes or in people's gardens. Goodness me. 0818 103 103. We were talking about drones going up 
to try to film dogs and responsible dog owners not cleaning up after their dogs or not responsible dog uh, owners. Tommy McCroom says on dog wardens, is it true there are only two dog wardens for County Cork? Yeah, I think the last time we checked that. It's one of the problems because we and the size of the county, it's just absolutely uh, incredible uh, and crazy. There's no way, but you'd need hundreds of dog wardens and I still don't think you. the problem is, is trying to catch the dog in the act and then watching the owner walk away. The dog wardens, that's why so few prosecutions are handed out. We spoke about electric cars with Blake Boland of the AA. Tom in Bantry has an electric car. He says the range is about 100 miles, he said, which is perfect for the amount of driving that Tom does. He's with Board Gosh and the offer he has with Board, Board Gosh, he obviously has a smart meter. He gets free electricity on a Sunday from 9am in the morning until 5pm. So our Tom in Bantry is a clever man. He says he plugs into a normal three pin plug socket. He also has a waterproof uh, charger outside the house as well. He said it works absolutely fine. Now it says it takes about 10 hours to fully charge the car but he charges us on a Sunday. So he's getting his electric car charged for free and then he can happily go motoring for the rest of the week with the 100 mile range which is exactly what he needs. You have it all sorted out Tom. If he goes to a public charge location it will cost him but if they want people to go electric then they need to bring in more and more incentives in order to get people to do it and of course one of the problems is there's not enough uh, public chargers and we, you know, you'll often see on social media people going on a, a long journey and they've worked out exactly where the next charger will be and then they get to the next charger and there's either a queue or somebody's parked up their car and left it and it can be really frustrating uh, for uh, people. And someone else on electric cars says there's not enough charging points around the country. Fix the infrastructure first. Price slash shortage of electric electric charging points how can electric vehicles be justified when you're being asked to conserve uh, power it all sounds like it's not making sense 0818 103 103 thank you all for your kind words about Clan Mel and the office situation uh, facing the families there and then we were talking about Oh, when I was talking with Blake Boland from the AA and I asked him about the price of petrol and diesel and some people are saying is there price gouging going on and he was saying no that you know he doesn't think there is He's you know he does as he says he can't see the accounts of the garages but he says look the price of petrol and diesel is going up and garages have to set the price based on what they buy it in at and then he spoke about the overall cost of doing business at the moment all businesses will tell you that they are struggling Jerry says Patricia I'm listening about what that fellow that's Blake Boland is saying and to me what he's saying is tosh I was listening to The Economist in England on the BBC and he said the problems with Ireland is that the government have no interest in regulation because they're making billions on the back of sales and they're not interested in giving anything back to the consumer and making fuel companies reduce prices or energy companies reduce prices. It's truly shocking stuff and it's actually embarrassing, says Jerry. Someone else says the price of coal is still sky high, even though the wholesale price has come on. That hasn't been passed on to the consumer. Uh, hi, Patricia. They should never have cut the excise duty on fuels in the first place if they were planning on reintroducing it. They could have reduced the VAT on the fuel sector to 9%. That would have helped garages 
keep the fuel prices at the same rate. The real problem is there's no regulation and price gouging is uh, rife. Plus, just look at England and the prices of fuel and energy. We have the highest prices in Europe. It's price gouging, plain and simple. And the government appear to be doing absolutely nothing about it. And morning, Patricia, this is from Pat. Quite simply, it's all about greed and profit. If we can fix that, we'd be absolutely grand. And that's coming in from Pat. 0818103103. And so, when I mentioned that Aoife has been found, Aoife from the letter in a bottle, she's Aoife, Aoife Byrne from Bray. Um, somebody says, will Aoife now be facing any kind of prosecution or will she be facing a fine for illegal dumping and littering of a bottle on a beach? C103 Jobs. A part-time and full-time hairstylist is wanted in McCroom. Email your CV to lavenderhairmccroom at gmail.com. Part-time childminder is wanted to work in the Kahula area of Bantry. Telephone Catherine 86 3792195. An experienced part-time housekeeper is wanted for an immediate start in Mallow. Now, own transport is needed. Info, you send a CV to info at longevillehouse.ie. And a part-time rigid truck driver is wanted in Cork City for Cork to Dublin and some local work. Call 087 275 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Now, unfortunately, last week, swimming had to be banned at over 50 beaches around the country. That was due to the recent rainfall, which saw sewage systems overwhelmed. To explain what is happening on our beaches, Tony Lowe's, our friend of the Irish environment uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Tony. Good morning, Patricia. Now, are there a number of reasons why we had those problems last week at, at over 50 beaches? I, I think they are. In fact, I think we can lay them at the, 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 the English, <coughs> blame the English for it because they're the ones who set up this system. There was a great, what they call the Great Stink in London in 1858 when it was overwhelming the sewage smell. So they did this combined storm water and sewage system, and that's what's come down to us. So the problem is when the storm water is too great, then it floods out the sewage system and you get the problems that we have. And septic tanks, is that also an issue in that I know the local (coughs) authorities, uh, they inspect septic tanks, but they never seem to inspect enough of them. That's a really interesting point. I, I think there's not only this sewage overflow and drainage we could talk more about with agriculture, but with septic tanks, there, there are 500,000 septic tanks out there. And at the rate of inspection, we're doing 1,100 inspections a year. So, you know, it would take 435 years <laughs> to inspect them all. And half Sorry, of them are failing. Yeah. Now, that's really bad. And then I think it's been raised, and the council's actually raised this, of course, council's raised this, that, that you, you, to avail of the grants, you have to fail the inspection. And yeah. you can't ask for an inspection. So, so you know, it, 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 the grant maximum, even when you get it, is 5000 And these tanks cost between ten and twelve to put in new. So I think that's an area we really have to look at. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I don't want to point the finger or blame at at owners, particularly with the current with the current cost of living uh, crisis, but. It, in some ways, is there a bit of owner responsibility that people need to check their own septic tanks? Oh, they do. But I, I think we have to realise that even if the cost falls on our taxpayers, ourselves, it's cheaper to, to, to get this thing sorted out so that we don't uh, ruin, ruin our waters. The, the, the problem of algae blooms along our coastlines, which is coming from, from these septic tanks and, and from agriculture, where there are not enough buffer zones and where there's overgrazing. It's all being washed in, and it's actually creating dead zones around the coast. We're, we're kind of poisoning everything. I mean, there's some things that you and I can actually do, I noticed, uh, particularly with the, the uh, overflows in the, in the sewage overflows, and that is to be really careful and only put the three Ps down, the toilet, yeah, yeah. paper, uh, P. And, and, uh, and uh, that certainly... Uh, uh, would help. But apparently in Roscarbery and Owena Hinch in particular, Irish Waters signaled this out and said that, you know, these how we put people wet wipes down, how they grease goes down the sink, that hardens the wet wipes, then there's some dental flush down there and hair, and it all makes up these fat balls, which are apparently really a problem to remove and cause an immediate overflow. And Mr. Fitzgerald of Irish Water was suggesting that 80% of the overflows now are coming because people are putting wrong things down their toilets. Yeah, we need to be so. And we've done countless interviews on, on that, Tony. I don't know how we get that message through to yeah. people about what you do and don't put down the, the, the toilet. But we also have a number of areas here in Cork who are screaming out for investment in their wastewater treatment uh, plants. I mean, that's something that the government needs to invest in. Yeah, but that's not just our problem. Uh, I noticed that the EU says that uh, we have to, you know, the EU itself is spending $45 billion in wastewater systems every year, and they say we'd have to double that before we did it. I, I don't know if you saw that in England, in Sunderland, just at the end of July there, the World Triathlon Championship swimming, there were, uh, you know, somewhat similar to the terrible tragedy we had here, only there, fortunately, the problem was just that 57 of the athletes got really sick, and they had nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea, stomach aches, fever, all from exactly the same problem that we're talking about here. Of course, the local sewage authority said that they wasn't their fault. And, you know. One of the things that you notice is that although this is supposed to be a combined stormwater and sewage system, the council is in charge of stormwater, and Irish Water is in charge of sewage. That doesn't make so, sense. So that doesn't needs, make sense. You need some joined up thinking there for sure. Well, and I think the council should be commended because they are urging the, these, these natural, uh, sustainable, what, what are called nature-based approach, which are really dramatic. There, there's an example in England that's, that's quoted where uh, by, by uh, this little town of Pickering in the Yorkshire Dales, and it was being flooded regularly. It was flooded four times in the 10 years between 1999 and 2007. And, and the council said they wanted to spend $20 million on a concrete wall. And it's a lovely old town, and they didn't like it, so they looked into it. And instead, they decided to go with a natural solution. And, and what they did was they planted about 30 hectares of woodland. They put in 167 leaky dams of logs and branches to slow things down. And then 187 lesser obstructions, like bales of heather, and a bund at the bottom to hold excess water and release it later. And the following year, after they finished it in 2015, the rest of that whole area was flooded, and the town had no flooding at all, and it Goodness. only cost two million. 
Goodness. Goodness. And you mentioned agriculture. How, how much of this lies with the agriculture sector and, and when it comes to high water pollution? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Well, I think we have a, a really basic problem with agriculture. There's a, a very interesting lead letter in today's Irish Times which discusses this. One of the impacts of not taking the night soil, that is the manure you know, that builds up, uh, uh, out into the countryside and spreading it directly on the soil or ensuring that it gets back there, is that we've lost a huge amount of organic matter and nutrients. We, we're using chemicals, and the chemicals make the things grow big, but they don't increase their nutrient value. And they also don't allow the soil to build back, so the soil can no longer hold things, and the moisture flows it faster, it goes away, and the figures of desertification, that's where the soil is gone around the world, are absolutely mind-bending. And this is because we've changed from putting that manure out as we should or compost out as we should, and we've gone over to this chemical reliance system, and it's actually going to cause worldwide famine being even worse. Okay, and I also was reading the CSO. They released a data, I think it was on Friday, showing that just half of our rivers and lakes were deemed to be of good ecological condition. So this isn't just our beaches. This is affecting our rivers and lakes. Absolutely. And I mean, to answer your question about agriculture, you know, we can have a blame game between all the different uh, the septic tanks and the sewage and the, you know, the lack of natural systems and so on. But I think agriculture does have a huge problem, uh, and it is a major contributor. The runoff, the silage, uh, the uh, slurry spreading before rain, there's all kinds of problems that, that, that you know, I very much sympathize with. But uh, what we're facing now is a major change in what we're going to use our land for. We have to realize that uh, unless we re-wet large areas, and we're talking about hundreds of, even by Chagas' estimations, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of hectares. These need to be once again restored to their natural functions. And, you know, if we take that approach and we move in that direction, these nature-based solutions, then I think genuinely we can control the stormwater. And if we can control the stormwater, then we can both end floodings and these horrible incidents. Where yeah, we, we won't be. Our beaches, yeah, know? we won't be talking about over fifty beaches being closed uh, yeah, to in yeah. swimming in the summertime. Even though people would say we don't exactly have the weather for it. Uh, Joe in Ballyvorney, and this is an example of uh, when we were talking about the septic tank. Says people in urban areas have free water and free sewerage. We outside the urban areas in rural areas have to finance all our own. It is very, very unfair. And you know, and that's exactly the point. You know, I don't want to be pointing the finger of blame at somebody with their septic tank if they can't afford to get it fixed. There needs to be some kind of government intervention and, and proper grant funding put in place, Tony? Of course it does. And, and, and this is, 
I think because all of what we're talking about is worse because of climate change. The rains are more intense, they're more frequent, the changes actually happened in front of our eyes. And, and, and what's required now is that we are resilient and that the society works to actually deal with these problems as they come up and not just spend 435 years before you inspect all your septic tanks. OK, so we leave it there. Thank you for that, uh, Tony, as always, and thank you for joining us. No problem. Uh, uh, good morning uh, to you. That is uh, Tony Lowe's, our friends of the Irish environment. Somebody says, gosh, but don't we have very short memories? No wonder we're having difficulties when it comes to water and sewerage. Remember not so long ago, all the strikes, all the protests when we were asked to pay for water. You get what you pay for. Or in this case, what you don't pay for. Water and sewerage should never, ever have been free. It is a privilege to have both. <laughs> Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. Now, Laurel and Hardy lookalikes from all over the world are set to descend on Cove next month. It's to commemorate the 70th anniversary of the visit to the town by the internationally famous comedy duo. With all the details, I'm joined by Liam Muldowney, who is the grand shake of the Irish Laurel and Hardy Society. Good morning to you, Liam. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Can I ask you first, why are you called a Grand Sheik? That is my title, uh, bestowed on me by Stan Laurel himself, would you believe? Whoa. And <clears throat> Stan and his biographer came up with the idea for a, a fan club, a society that would honour the two comedians. And each chapter of that society, wherever it be, would have a leader called the Grand Sheik. <laughs> and, uh, and he wrote a, a mock constitution for all the clubs. And basically, my, my, my title is Grand Sheik, but I have no authority whatsoever. <laughs> and and that, that was Stan's rule. <laughs> but you, you carry the title with great pride, Liam. I, of course I do, absolutely. And oh. uh, we, we in Ireland have been carrying that... Uh, Laurel and Hardy title for the last 25 years. Which brilliant, is. brilliant. Now, yeah. I, I, we need to go back further, though. We need to go back the 70 years to 1953. Yeah. Tell me what is yeah. known about Stan and Ollie's visit to Cove. Stan, uh, in 1953, their movie career was basically finished. And they, uh, because they didn't own the rights to any of their movies, they were paid actors at the time, if you were. They needed to work. So they were offered the chance to come and do a tour of the British music halls. And they had done it in 1952, and they got another chance to do it in 1953. So uh, they were going to come straight into Britain, and they suddenly realised Oliver Hardy didn't have a visa, and his visa wouldn't come into effect until October. But they had already booked their liners, and they uh, decided to come into Ireland uh, for three weeks which is what they did uh, until Oliver Hardy's um, visa became... Uh, became um, Kicked real. in. Kicked in. So, yeah, the, uh, the liner docked in, uh, in Cove and uh, the welcome they received, word got out that they were on the liner. Schools were let out and uh, the, the quayside was just lined with people screaming their names and shouting their names. And as, as you know, probably the um, famous bells of St. Coleman's rang out their theme song, which was the Cuckoo song. And they were thrilled, by all accounts, by the reception. They were completely overwhelmed. They had seen, now they'd had huge welcomes in the UK the previous year, but they, it was nothing like this. They were shocked. They were in awe of the whole situation. It, it, it was something that they had never experienced before and never would again, to the point where they spoke about it for the rest of their lives. 
they were on um, the American version of This Is Your Life a year later and it was brought up on that. <laughs> so it, it really, really meant a lot. And Sam, in his biography, mentions his fondness for Cove and the welcome they received there. So they spent some time in Cove and they, uh, they, they, they went around, they went to Dublin as well, didn't they? They did. They spent their, when they, the Bells, they wanted to personally thank the Carliner at the time, which was a, a gentleman by the name of the Brewers. And they insisted on going, uh, being brought up to the cathedral to thank him in person, which they did. Uh, they were then brought to, to Blarney and then they were then um, brought to Cork City Hall where they met the mayor, uh, Alderman P. McGrath. And from there they trained it up to, uh, up to Dublin. And you've got this special event to remember that, the fact that 70 years has passed since they got off that uh, liner. So the event runs from the 8th to the 11th of uh, September and it's, it's a European convention. It's, it's a European convention. There are con- within our society, there are conventions uh, all over the world. And we here in Ireland uh, won the, the right to host the 14th European convention, which we pitched to have in Cove and to get as many Laurel and Hardy fans from around the world to come to Cove for a three-night event um, where we will, we will stay at the Commodore Hotel and uh, we will have three banquet nights, uh, lots of fun, lots of acting the fool and wearing fezzes and bowler hats. So Cove will be full of the 120 of us that weekend. Um, and we've also, um, thanks to uh, the Cove Tourist Board, managed to get the services of two Laurel and Hardy uh, lookalikes who will be joining us and the people of Cove on the Saturday at about a quarter to three in the afternoon on the bandstand and uh, they will reenact some Laurel and Hardy moments and they'll wander around the crowds for photo opportunities, etc. So uh, a fun day. And, and you're going to do the bell ringing? Uh, Stapp's son, Adrian Gebrewers, who is the head carliner at the moment, has agreed to once more play the cuckoo song on the famous bells for us. That is a huge draw for Laurel and Hardy fans. It's like a mecca. And we, we have people coming from the States all over Europe, Holland, Belgium and Germany and we even have a couple coming from New Zealand specifically into Cove to hear those bells once more on the 70th anniversary on the exact day, the 9th of September that uh, Laurel and Hardy arrived. I, I, really, I love that. I, I, I really do think that's special and Aidan is the son of... Adrian. Adrian, Adrian. Is, the, is the son of the gentleman who played them first. 70 Alan, years ago. Wow. Way back in 50, and Adrian was... was Uh, a lot of our a lot of our guys would want to meet Adrian and, and shake his hand and get his autograph. It's that special to us, you know. And a special plaque will be unveiled at the Heritage Centre in Cove. I'm we, told we have commissioned a special brass plaque uh, to be uh, unveiled at the Heritage Centre. Thanks to Jack Walsh and his team there who have allowed us um, the access to, to do that, and that will be uh, forever. Hopefully, a reminder to everybody, visitors and, and um, population of Cove alike, that Stan and Ollie what it meant, that visit to Co, what it meant to them. So we're very, very happy with that. When did you first become interested in Laurel and Hardy? I'm of the age where the 1970s, they, they were everywhere. They're on the television. BBC played them constantly. Almost daily they were on, the 20-minute shorts, which was a great filler for the BBC. For example, if they're racing at Haydock, was was rained off. They'd stick on a couple of Laurel and Hardy shorts <laughs> just to fill they were everywhere and that's how I got the interest my dad was a huge fan he he used to go to the cinema to see them when they were fillers in the cinema the 20 minute shorts would come on before the main feature and um, I, I got interested that way and absolutely loved them and then I, when I was in my 20s I heard of the Sons of the Desert which is the International Laurel and Heritage Society and I went to try and join one of those in Ireland and there was none so I said 
I'm going to start one. And I did, and that was 25 years ago, and we're still going strong. And yours uh, yours is called the, the Jitterbug's Tent. The Jitterbug's Tent. Each chapter of the Sons of the Desert is called a tent, and each tent is named after one of their films. <laughs> and I, named, I named ours after their film, Jitterbug's. So and how, and how, how many chapters are there, Liam? Uh, I, I, there are over 300 chapters around the world. Some yeah. of them have been, have been going since 1965 when Sam started it. And within that 300 plus tent, there are over 10,000 members, which it's huge for a duo who were making films 100 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And, and just, just shows the relevance of the film. But they're, they're, they're absolutely timeless classics. Yeah, yeah. It's simple. It's simple, innocent humour. You see two grown-up men acting like a couple of children and getting away with it. And they constantly fail and you feel for them. Yeah. And then one tries to be the boss of the other. And it, it's just hilarious. It's really, really funny stuff. And it's funny because it, as soon as you mention, you know, the names of Lauren and Hardy. Oh, in, they, they invoke smiles from Yeah, people. instantly. You know, that is and, instantly. And everybody has, everyone has their favourite. Oh, I like the one where such and such, or the one where they brought the piano up and down the stairs. Oh, or yeah. The one where they fell in the lake. Everyone has a favourite. It, it, it is, and as you say, you just mention the names. And that's what happened. They played in Dublin in 1952 at the Olympian Theatre. And before they, I spoke to some people in the audience, and before... The curtains even opened. There was a, a giggle or a guffaw or a laughter. And the whole theatre was laughing before they'd even set foot on the stage. That was exactly as you say. You mentioned their names and people laughed. And you, you collect memorabilia. Talk to me about some of the items you have. I have a huge collection of original scripts from the studios, some of them dating back to the 1920s. I have autographs. I have a couple of sets of their autographs. Uh, lots and lots of statues and DVDs, but I also have a collection of original 16 and 8mm film reels, which they're very, very special. They have to be stored correctly. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, 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 the house is full of it. It's full of framed <laughs> photographs, it's full of statues, it's full of whatever, you know. So. Somebody somebody wants to know, will, will any of the films be shown over the few days in Cove? We, not, as, not as such, no. We have a couple of documentary films to show. We were talking about real hardcore fans that are coming to, to the event itself. Which is which is an, an, an enclosed space for events. But we will be in the stand. And the boys, the two guys from the UK, will be wandering around. And come up and say hello. We'll be wearing Laurel and Hardy t-shirts. We'll be wearing fancy bowler hats. Just move, around, move, move just move around slightly with your phone there, Liam. You just I'm just yeah. losing ever so slightly. So, yeah, so, yeah. so the two the the lookalikes and you have you seen these lookalikes before? Do they look like Laurel and Hardy? Oh, I've seen them a number of times. Yeah, I've seen them a number of times in the UK and, and at other um, events around the world. And they look like them and they act like them. And it's it, it, even, as I say, for photo opportunities, they're available for anyone. Just pop the guys in the street, they'll be around. OK, I can see a number of, of uh, people saying, uh, fantastic, this is going to be a great event in uh, Cove. Uh, do you believe that they remain the world's greatest comedy duo? Oh, they were. Certainly were. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, as I said to you before, uh, simple, innocent humour. You don't have to think about it. It's instantly funny. Their longevity alone uh, has to suggest the fact that they were the best comedy duo ever. But they never made money out of it. They were paid actors at the time. That was the contract they had with their studio. Unlike Charlie Chaplin, who, who kept the rights to his film. Harold Lloyd kept the rights to his film. Sadly, Stan and Ollie, they were well-paid actors. They, they, don't get me wrong, they really were well-paid actors. Stan made more than Ollie because he put more work in. He edited, he, he, he suggested gags, he directed. 
Oliver Hardy went did his acting and left for the golf course. <laughs> so Stan got paid more than Ollie did. But Stan got paid more than the studio head even did. Like they were very, very well paid. But if you think about if they were today and when you look at what actors and actresses and... Yeah. Co- oh, absolutely. Well, Stan had, had a couple of divorces as well and uh, completely lost his shirt with those. So <laughs> that whittled away his money a lot. Um, so, yeah, you know, obviously, yeah, they would have been on huge money today. But uh, you, you never learn, I guess. Yeah. Okay, so the 8th to 11th of September, uh, Cove is the place uh, to be. Listen, Liam, enjoy it because it sounds like you are really going to enjoy the few days uh, in we'll Cove. Have some fun. Yeah. yeah, and thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us. Not at all, not at all. Take care. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Liam Mulzowney there. I love the fact that he's called the Grand Shake of uh, the Irish Larland Hardy uh, Society and by all accounts, there'll be some other Grand Shakes from some of the other different chapters from around the world will be descending in uh, Cove. So mark it in your diary, particularly if you're a Larlan Hardy fan, as I say, when I was even teeing up the programme with uh, Ken Tobin earlier on. And as soon as I mentioned Larlan Hardy, he big smile broke out in his face. Whatever. It was just, it was simple, that slapstick uh, comedy, nothing crude, nothing rude about it. And it is still something today you could sit down with the children of today and they'll laugh out loud uh, the same way we all did when we were uh, children. So if you're a Larlan Hardy fan, head to Cove. It's the 14th. European Convention. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your uh, calls. It is Monday, so that means that Annalise Drussell, our nutritional therapist, Annalise will be joining us in the next hour on the programme. So if you've got any questions uh, for Annalise, get them into us. And I certainly will ask Annalise on behalf of the listener who contacted us who's feeling so, so unwell. Uh, following uh, COVID and I could see some other people saying the same thing so we'll see what advice we can get from uh, Annalise. Somebody else says Patricia I'm the same testing positive and it's two weeks since I had my first positive test for COVID. It's an absolutely awful dose. I have to say it's the sickest I've ever been. I felt just rotten physically and emotionally. I have a relative who's suffering ongoing issues since having COVID back in the spring. They have muscle and joint issues, etc. People really need to cop on that COVID is dangerous. People need to show uh, some respect. And I suppose the real danger at the moment uh, is the fact that you have people who are being very, very responsible about it. And as soon as they feel they've got the sniffles or a scratchy throat or they're feeling a bit achy, people are testing. And then they're staying indoors if they if they get positive tests. But I suppose what's happening now is because it's almost like something that was in the past. You've got people out and about with coughs and sniffles who may have COVID and just don't realise that they have COVID. But I can straight away see one issue is the cost of the rapid antigen test. Now, I know people will say there might be only two or three euro uh, to buy. But I mean, if you have a household and everybody is down with some kind of a, you know, a runny nose, whatever, and you're trying to test to see who has COVID and who doesn't, that can all add to the costs, with particularly with the cost of living crisis that we have at the moment. So there could be some people who may think they have COVID and just can't afford to get the rapid antigen test. And of course, there's no free tests available anymore and you can't even go for a PCR test. I don't even know who's doing PCR tests other than I know they're testing in the hospitals and we have seen outbreaks at uh, various hospitals. But is COVID still out and about? 100% it is. It's a scam alert for you. This is a text message doing the rounds at the moment and it's a new one and it claims to become Coming from my gov, 
Of course, when you see that, you straight away think, oh, this is an official uh, text. And the text reads, pre-approved 2023 tax credit repayment cannot be processed. Follow. And then there's a link that says incomerevenuecredit.com forward slash mygov. And they ask you to click on that to verify information straight away. What jumps out is uh, anything that would come from the revenue would be .ie and they wouldn't be sending you a text message anyway. But it, 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 once you see .com, you know straight away that that, that is a scam. So it's a one trying to purport to be giving people money back. And of course, when people think we're getting money back from revenue, you'd say, I'll take the hand and all off them. Of course, I'll click on the link. So please, please don't. It is a scam and make other people aware of it because it is a new one. Now, a couple of interesting ones coming in. Firstly, now I'm scratching my head on this one. And can anybody else tell me, has this happened? Hi, Patricia. My niece has just told me that she had to pay 50 euro for her son for what my niece said was a book loan scheme before they went in holidays for the summer. He's starting in second class on Wednesday. Is that correct? No, there should be no money uh, exchanging hands for any kind of a book loan scheme because all children in primary school now are entitled to free books. The Minister for Education has been at pains to point out they can't be charged for any of the books. I'm wondering, is it... Rather, is it some kind of a voluntary contribution that your niece was asked for instead? It could be that, but certainly you shouldn't be paying any money towards a book loan scheme. Now, a lot of schools did have book loan schemes in the past, uh, but they now all revert to the free book schemes. Anyone with a child in primary school, you don't need to be paying for your books. So no, if it's for book loans, she definitely needs to uh, question it. Thank you for that, John. 0818103103. And we to do a bit of research on this to find this particular stamp because I wasn't aware of it. It says, hi Patricia, I got a letter in the post today, which is lovely. <laughs> we get such few letters now. You don't even get bills anymore because they're all coming by uh, by email. Anyway, so it was lovely to receive a letter, says this letter. But the stamp really irked me. It shows a woman having fallen from a ladder while seeming to do a bit of DIY. She's wearing a gold dress and high heels. If my interpretation is correct, how is that even allowed in 2023? I do a lot of DIY like many modern women and I always ensure that I have the safety catch on the ladder. I always make sure I'm wearing flat, non-slip footwear and I always wear appropriate clothing. This stamp as I see it is perpetrated an old stereotype of a stupid blonde woman. Now it may have been created by a female artist but she's not representing all women with this stamp and if I'm viewing it correctly then shame on Ampost for sharing it across the nation. Okay, it was a stamp that actually came came out in uh, oh, oh they're, they're only new stamps, so sorry because I saw the one, okay it's, it's the women in art, it's art on a stamp that's what the collection is in some post celebrating 100 years of art on a stamp with a new collection. Now, one of them is the one with the, there's an Orla Kiley handbag and a Philip Tracy hat that was on one of them. But the one you're speaking about is by, it is by a female artist. It's by a lady by the name of Amanda Coogan. And I have got, I have got a copy of the stamp and it does look like, yeah, she's wearing a gold dress, high heel shoes, there's a ladder in the background and she's falling off the ladder. Now, she's a contemporary artist, is our Amanda Coogan. And she said it was a very proud moment for her in 2013 when her work 
the fall was first collected as a stamp design and she's having it featured again now and she sees it as a great honour and she was launching she helped to uh, launch it and actually when she was launching it she's a blonde woman as well uh, and the lady in the picture is a blonde I don't know if that's meant to be herself or not because there's a picture of her on a ladder dressed in in a yellow dress uh, not unlike the dress that features in the uh, stamp so the, the name of the picture is The Fall uh, and is it to do with a, D, a woman being very silly doing DIY and what looks like a dress you'd be wearing out in, on, on an evening maybe to a cocktail party with your stiletto heels? But it was actually by a female artist. Has anybody else spotted that? And is anybody else taking umbrage to the fact that many of us females are really good at DIY and we'd never get up a ladder in high heels, even though I did once fall off a ladder? Uh, because I had the incorrect shoes on but that was just me being impulsive rather than anything else. I have a tendency to want to get everything done now rather than sort of waiting until, as this listener says, put on the correct non-slip footwear and the appropriate clothing and always make sure you have the safety catch on the ladder. Keep a look out for that uh, stamp uh, and it is called Falling. That is the name of the the fall is what the name of that stamp is. 0818 103 103. Number of calls in about dog fouling in public toilets. Michael says, I was sitting in my car in Newmarket and a lady came alongside the car. Her dog did his business. Guess what? She just walked away, leaving the dirt on the footpath. It was right outside uh, somebody's front door as well. Isn't that shocking? That just is. You should have tooted your horn of your car, Michael, and pointed to it. Uh, and But yeah, it's hard to be brave in situations like that, isn't it? Because you don't know what kind of a reaction you're going to get because we have heard of people who did try to point out to somebody, you're not being very responsible there, are you? And they got the head nearly taken off them in anger by the dog owner. Maris in Canturks, I was in Kerry a lot this summer and the majority of the beaches, big and small, all have public toilets, if not temporary, like the portaloos we spoke about. Are, are, if not, they have the purpose-built one. How come Kerry can do it and we can't do it here in Cork? Yeah, we, that's what we were discussing earlier, uh, Maris. Eileen is in Ballymacoda. She said, a lot of our beaches do have public toilets. Gary, go. Gary Vaux, for example, very busy spot, has toilets. So if they can have it in one part of Cork, why can't they have it on all of our public beaches? I suppose the council will say we have too many beaches and they don't have enough uh, money. Someone else says there's no toilets in Red Barren or Pillmore Beach and both are destroyed by dog fouling. Now you also make another accusation that I absolutely know nothing about and unless I had evidence I, I can't mention the other part of your comment but thank you for your uh, text. And then a regular listener says, morning uh, Patricia, we have groups of people coming to Loch Loch Buffina is that how you pronounce it? Outside Bantry they they come fishing, uh, mainly for trout, but some of those fishermen when they get short taken, they're also defecating and leaving used toilet paper. It's all over the picturesque lake and beside the lake, also leaving their rubbish behind them. I know what I'm talking about because I end up regularly having to pick up their rubbish on numerous occasions. Any of the fishermen who are coming to Lake Buffina outside Bantry, would you please clean up after yourself? 0818 103 103 and on coal uh, prices, uh, some listeners asking about coal prices this winter, some coal 
some listeners are saying that the coal prices have increased. I did have a text in earlier saying it's increased as well. Others have checked with local fuel suppliers who say that they will have, there will be no increases this winter. So some people are saying best advice is to check with your local fuel supplier in your area and maybe try shopping around because there will be price differences depending on the coal merchant that you you use. And just stay on that topic but on electricity costs because there is listen we'll take any bit of good news that we can grab to do with prices coming down. It's a second electricity price cut has been announced by Pinergy. Now Pinergy are one of actually one of the fastest growing suppliers in this uh, con- in this country and the hope now is that because Pinergy have moved that there will be a raft of other price cuts from the rivals and of course only last week we spoke about a new energy supplier onto the market uh, a group called Uno and they launched cut price deals for households last Friday. Now, according to the Irish Independent today, the large players in the market are weeks away from announcing modest cuts in electricity and gas prices for households. And of course, it's important because we're heading into the most energy-hungry winter months. But Pinergy have moved first and they very much put it up to their competitors by reducing their standard unit electricity to below that what's offered by Electric Ireland and of course Electric Ireland is owned by the ESB and that's important because the Electric Ireland has the largest residential electricity supplier. They are the biggest in the market at the moment. Uh, Pinergy is the only energy supplier to cut prices in this market in the past eight months. Their latest cut is 9.5% in their unit rate. They're saying typical family, it'll save about €220 a year, including VAT. And that cut comes into effect on the 1st of October. And like it is their second, because last March they broke ranks with all of the other suppliers and they delivered a price reduction back in March of just over 7%. And we thought that that might might, uh, see others follow suit, but it didn't. But this is the second one now, the move by the firm, which supplies electricity to householders on the pay-as-you-go meters and those who pay their every two months uh, meant the March one meant a reduction of €180 Euro over the year. So this is now a further €220. Pinergy's chief executive said the firm was able to announce a second decrease as wholesale electricity pricing has eased in recent months. However, he does say that the energy crisis hasn't gone away and the wholesale pricing remains inflated and uh, volatile. And of course, it was revealed last week that electricity prices in this country, we are the highest in Europe. We pay on average about €900 euro a euro more than compared to the EU average. Bills are 80% higher here than the European, Euro, the EU average and that was according to the Household Energy Price Index and that index is commissioned by the Austrian and the Hungarian energy regulators. So they look across all of uh, members of the EU. And of course, that news came at a time as householders are grappling with a cost of living uh, crisis that could be further exacerbated as autumn and winter approaches and electricity and gas use all with soars after the summer months. In the past two years, prices have more than doubled. The average home now, we're paying around €2,000 a year for electricity. But there are hopes that consumers will start to see the energy bills fall in the coming months as the market gets a bit of a shake up, particularly now with what Pinergy are doing and also, you know, this new uh, entrant. Because, you know, last week when they launched, 
they're promising that you could save more than €500 Euro a year on your electricity bill by choosing them and by monitoring their energy usage uh, at home. So now we are waiting to see, will the big players in the market, and the big players are, as I mentioned, Electric Ireland, they're also Board Gosh, they're also Energia, they're also SSE Airtricity. We've got to wait to see when they announce price cuts. And if they do, we, we are being told that the price cuts will be small. But listen, we'll take any bit. Most commentators say reductions, anything between 10% and 20% will still mean that energy costs will remain high this winter. That's why the government intervention is going to be needed with those energy credits. And I read um, Dara Cassidy, who often we often speak with from the price comparison website Bonkers. Uh, Dara was asked about it. He said the new price drop by Pinergy said will be welcomed. Uh, news to customers. He said it meant that Pinergy's standard unit rate was now cheaper than most of the other suppliers. However, he said wholesale electricity prices in Ireland are still around three times the normal level. So there's a limit, he says, on how far prices can for customers can drop for the time being. Uh, Derek Cassidy says there won't be an energy price war are a return to even remotely normal energy levels, certainly for this uh, winter. It'll be well into next year, I'd say. And, you know, he spoke about in 2020 before COVID and before the war in Ukraine wrecked havoc with energy prices. We were paying, the average was between 20 cent and 22 cent per kilowatt an hour. That was what the average was and included uh, VAT. And now if you look at Pinergies, which has seen a reduction, their standard their standard unit rate is still over 41 cents. It's still over double what it was before COVID and before the uh, Russian invasion on Ukraine. Uh, so even at 41 cents, the average, by the way, across Europe is 26. So we are still so way off away from what the other European countries are paying. 0818 John Paul is taking your calls. Eddie in Mahan on coal says while coal shopping, while our coal shopping went to Murphy's on Barrick Street, he got five 20 kg bags of coal for 70 euro. And he said that's a decrease. He said he's previously paid 80 euro. So it is worth shopping around if you're looking for coal. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Now next Friday, which is the 1st of September at half past seven, prayers will be recited at the Tree of Hope in Kilbrin Cemetery by Father Michael Leader, who is the parish priest for all those who have lost their lives through suicide and for those who suffer from mental illness. Everybody very welcome to attend. And the James O'Callaghan commemoration will take place on Sunday of next weekend, 3rd of September at half past 12 in Monanami in Kilavollen and the oration will be given by Dr. Martin Manser. And one for the following week, Wednesday the 6th of September, Annam Cara, they will hold their Cork City Centre meeting in the Maryborough House Hotel at quarter past seven. All bereaved parents in the Cork area are welcome. Now, regardless of the age that your child died or the circumstances of the death, there's no need to register. You can simply turn up on the evening at 7.15, Maryborough House Hotel. If you'd like more information on the support services that are offered by Annam Cara, you can check out their website at www.annamcara.ie. 
Cork Today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. C103. And uh, thank you, Mark. This is an interesting point when I mentioned the lady who was upset by the stamp she got with the woman appearing to fall off a ladder um, wearing a inappropriate dress to be doing DIY and wearing a pair of high heels. And this uh, lady is a very... D- female DIYer herself and uh, she just took umbrage to the fact and it irked her to see that, you know, almost like the silly blonde, because it's a blonde woman in the actual uh, painting, uh, the, the, the essence of the dumb blonde, you know, attempting to do DIY dressed like that and then falling off the ladder and I checked it out and uh, the stamp is commemorating Art on a Stamp. It's on post celebrating 100 years of Art on a Stamp and it's by renowned contemporary artist Amanda Coogan and it's actually, the work uh, is called The Fall and it actually was on a stamp back in 2013 but it's been featured again and Amanda the artist saw it as a great honour. Mark makes the point, point, if The Fall is contemporary art, would it be best to try to talk to the artist about what it represents? It might be nothing at all to do with DIY. Maybe it's to do with social climbers and a fall from grace. Who knows? That's exactly what it might be. Well put, Mark. Thank you for that. 0818 103 103. Humphrey's in Clonakilty and he joins me. Good afternoon to you, Humphrey. Good afternoon, Patricia. Now, you want to raise, this is to do with traffic in, in Clonakilty and there always seems to be a backlog of traffic in Clonakilty. But you now have concerns. Well, we have, and it's been raised by a few of my neighbours with us, like we live up in Ladies Cross, and literally we'll be across the road from the new fire station, which is very welcome. But we have to take into account of the extra build-up of traffic, and there's 90 new houses being built up beyond us, and there's other houses planned for the area. So we will have more traffic going into the one funnel, and everything seems to be a log jam between, basically between the Quality Hotel or the, the Park Hotel now and, uh, and the Spa around about there. And it could take you 15, maybe 20 minutes to get into town. And my concern yeah. is that when the fire brigade is there, how will it go east? And it's something I raised with you a few years ago about ambulances trying to go uh, east and it's getting worse and worse. So I don't have a solution for it, but I'm just raising that there's something we're going to have to look at in the light of Emergency services are now going to be, uh, look, it's going to be more and more called out. Yeah, and I I don't know what the solution could be because the streets are simply too narrow. The streets are narrow, there's parking there and the volume of traffic has increased. And look, we have a lot of houses have been built in Atlantic Guilty, which is great. Housing is still a huge problem in the Atlantic Guilty area. And uh, we just seem to be funneling everything into that one spot. And there is going to be no easy solution to it. But look, between now and by the time the fire brigade is built, so we'll say 12, 18 months, we must do something to try to mitigate against this. So and look, I don't have a solution to it. But I'm just really flagging it that it's something uh, that we will have to raise with, with the council. And I suppose the fire brigade must be looking at it as well. So how are they going to um, move east along if they have an emergency situation with the, with the traffic and like is it where they're going to have to go up around Shannon Vale and come back out at the rugby club or what but well, in, in, in hindsight is, is the fire station built in the wrong location uh, no it's look they, they, they own the land there the council and all that and it's maybe something that we have to look at planning because like the whole planning has put we say all of the large developments 
in Canakilty on the, I suppose, the western side of the town. And it's all funneling into the, just that one narrow section of streets. Uh, we'll say from, um, as we call it, Campbell's Corner down to uh, the Spar Roundabout. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I've, I, I've visited, You've you know. You've been stuck in it? Yeah, You've I've been, been stuck, stuck in it many, many times. It's yeah. just, it's, and it's really, and of course, children back to school now, it'll get even yeah. worse. Yeah, but like you get over the stuff with back to school and all that, and we'll, we'll get over that, so that's not a, a big problem. But my big problem is that, look, look, let's look at this now before, look, it's going to be built there. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's do everything we can to facilitate Let's try and find a solution. Before yeah. Yeah. somebody somebody gets stuck in traffic and they go, Jesus, if we were only there five minutes earlier. Yeah, yeah. So, and look, I'm only just flagging it. Yeah. I have no solution to it. And it's something that's going to do with management of party and traffic and everything else. And I'm not whinging because it's the best thing ever for the new fire brigade and to fire brigade. Yeah, but we don't we don't you. want a situation where we'll be discussing it here on the radio, uh, Humphrey, no. of a fire engine getting stuck to go to yeah. a fire or to yeah. go to an accident. And by the time they got there, it was too late. We certainly late, don't want yeah. to be talk, to, talking about that. And look, oh. our neighbours, uh, he's, he's in the fire brigade and, and look, we t- other neighbours have raised it there on Facebook and stuff. So look, it's, it's a concern. Yeah. So look, let, let's let's see what we can do to yeah. get everything with this. Start the conversation, if nothing else. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, listen, absolutely. Humphrey. Thanks Got for that. that. Thanks and for that. Bye bye. And enjoy the rest of your Monday. Um, this is on the price of oil and diesel. Hi, um, Heidi says hi, Patricia. I heard somebody discussing the uh, price of petrol and uh, diesel, and why is it going up when the price on the world market is not uh, rising? It's just another attack on the poor motorists, especially those that were encouraged to buy diesel cars a few years ago where do they, why do the experts think where do they think we're going to be able to keep finding this extra cash it's totally unfair and I've, a lot of de- and I, I have to say I drive a diesel car uh, as well but there was a big push. Everybody was pushed to buy diesel cars at one stage. Uh, you're right. And now suddenly we're getting hammered, uh, both people driving petrol cars and uh, diesel cars. And on Friday, the 1st of September, there's more going up with the excise duty. So what you're seeing in the forecourse, you can be guaranteed on Friday there is going to be an increase. The garages will have no choice, but they'll have to put it up because for every litre that they sell from Friday on it comes with the new excise duty so they will have no choice so make sure you're, you're well filled up by uh, before Friday morning and hi Patricia this is on dog filing uh, I had a problem that went on for years and years and years of a neighbour walking her dogs up and down the lane the dogs pooped in our driveway for years the lady was repeatedly asked please stop allowing your dogs to do their business on our driveway just completely ignored our request. Eventually, after many years, I snapped one day after another one of her doggy deposits. I went out and I gathered every bit of the poo I could find and I went to her house and I emptied the the bag onto her property. By the way, that was the end of the problem. Ooh, she'll know not to cross you. 0818, it's a brave thing to do. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. We're looking for your questions, please, for Annalise Dressel, our nutritional therapist, because Annalise is going to be joining us next. 
You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We're off to the Health Hub Times Square in Ballincollig where Annalise Drussell uh, joins us. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. And I can't believe we have a flurry of uh, texts in about people who are trying to get over COVID and it was kicked off by a listener who can't get a negative test result. She's been for the last 10 days testing and she keeps coming up um, positive. Now she's done all her She's Bless her heart, she's staying indoors and uh, she's continuing to isolate but she's feeling absolutely wretched. She describes it as she said, I feel like the life has been sucked out of me and that then led to a number of other people who were saying that they got to COVID in the last uh, two weeks and that it seems to be an awful dose is doing the rounds. Are you hearing similar in the shop? Um, yes, I have a bit now. Actually, not as bad as it was, I suppose, when COVID was in full flight but definitely um, I think as well, Patricia, though we we forget that COVID is around to stay now like the flu and there are always going to be variations that are milder and there are always going to be variations that are worse. I mean, actually, if you think about the year before we had COVID, I don't know, does anybody remember pre-COVID? I barely remember it myself, but I remember in the newspapers outrage because it was about people on trolleys in hospitals because there was such a bad flu. So there is always going to be nasty variations of the viruses around. Um, The thing is, is I suppose it's less lethal. So that's something to be grateful for. And people will have different symptoms. I mean, some people are absolutely symptomless, but then they get long COVID, Patricia. So it's a very, very strange virus indeed. So my advice to most people is prevent, prevent. So start, like we haven't had a great summer. So I'd actually be starting family kids going back to school. I'd be starting them now in a vitamin C, zinc and a vitamin D. Just get them primed up for the winter because the better your immune system is placed, the less likely the virus can take hold. And we all know now it's the viral load that makes the difference. So if the, that poor lady who's still testing positive after 10 days obviously has a huge viral load. So uh, a lot more of the virus copies in her body than somebody who has less symptoms. So if you can prime your immune system, that really is the key. And my advice to somebody when they get COVID is to actually take vitamin C, zinc and vitamin D three times a day. So I'd be taking it every couple of hours and just keep it circulating in those amounts through the system so that they're supporting all of your white blood cells and antibodies in the fight against COVID. Um, For energy then, I think some people get um, a good buzz from the source of life gold afterwards as a tonic. And what I love about that is that there's mushroom extract in there, which is a wonderful one as an antiviral. Uh, Some people found the Revive Active is very helpful to give them a boost as well. I've been recommending um, N-acetylcysteine to a lot of customers, especially if they have any leftover chest stuff. Um, Cursetin was a very popular one as well throughout the first round of COVID, Patricia. And the role that that plays mostly as as an antihistamine for hay fever and that. Uh, But um, it also helps to shuttle zinc very efficiently into the cells. And zinc is the big one for the immune system. So if you're really struggling, take cursetin and zinc together. Um, But a lot of people actually interestingly told me that their allergies cleared up taking the knack as well. So people who were put on it after COVID ended up getting far less um, of hay fever this year, which was very interesting because June was shocking for hay fever. So... There's an awful lot in that there, and I think it is very individual. Um, I think the best thing to do is probably call into your health shop and explain exactly how you're feeling. Um, You know, I think wear a mask if you're not sure if you're still testing positive or negative because, like, you know, we're we're mixing with this and 
lots of people have it that aren't even testing, Patricia. So the guilt about giving it to people now that you might kill them is gone, you know. Yeah, and and we're heading into that period where we're all indoors. We'll be indoors more, even though people would say we were indoors a lot uh, this summer, the, w- the way it was. But you would be ex- expecting a spike now, but yet we we seem to be getting a spike at the moment. Well, I think there's always, there always used to be a summer flu, Patricia. Yeah, and yeah. Then there was always, there's always a spike in coughs, colds and misery when kids go back to school. That's and true. then there's always another one kind of around the end of December, January. So I'm now I'm I'm going by my own experience in the shop as opposed to data. But I'd say the data kind of follows. So I think we could probably expect, expect three or four sort of waves every year. Yeah. Um, but hopefully the disease is, the, the, the virus is getting less and less lethal. Um, the thing I worry about actually more about this particular virus is long COVID. I've never seen anything like that. I've seen post-viral fatigue for people with glandular fever and very bad flu and shingles, but it's in the minority. Whereas I now see young, healthy people with long COVID and it's very confusing. And it can be really debilitating. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's shocking. Yeah. Okay, Tina is getting reoccurring kidney infections. What's the best way to prevent kidney infections? Okay, so what we normally do is put people on three different products. Uh, the first one is something called Cranbiotics, and this is a blend of the b- bacteria that are beneficial for the kidney tract, the urinary tract, plus cranberry extract, which can help uh, prevent you know, the bacteria that cause the, um, the infections to be sticking on. And then we also give people D-mannose, which is a sugar, which actually also has the same property. So in order to be able to stick on, bacteria need to be able to kind of create a little spike and kind of get themselves attached on that way. And D-mannose prevents them from being able to do that. So D-mannose. And then the last thing we recommend is a Dr. Delish Clare product, which is called Cystone, C-Y-S-T-O-N-E. And it's a blend of different herbs that are very good to nourish the health of the cells of the urinary tract so that the good bacteria can re-establish and flourish. So normally I would say three times a day if you've got an active infection and then once a day for at least one or two, month, one or two months if it's recurrent, one month if it's a once-off and then after that go on to a maintenance dose, maybe just take a, a, a manos every day for at least three months until you can say you've been infection-free for three months. Okay, and again, they're nasty. I've, I'm, I used to be, I haven't had one touch wood in years, but I used to be a martyr for kidney infections. They're really nasty, nasty things. They're, and they make you feel exhausted. Oh, and actually, people oh, are put on long-term antibiotics for yeah, them as well. And yeah. that, the antibiotic makes them exhausted. And again, this, could, this is just an observational thing. But since COVID, and I don't know, is it something to do with the ACE um, receptors? Because we have them in our lungs. We definitely have people who've got asthma after COVID and a lot more kidney problems since COVID. So I'm wondering, is it something to do with that receptor? We'll, we'll find out, I suppose, in time. OK, Jenny's been suffering from leg cramps and she's been recommended to take magnesium. But when do you take the magnesium? Is it before you go to bed or is it during the day? I think it probably depends when you get the cramps. So magnesium is very good to enable muscles to be able to, to relax. Um, and so that's why it prevents those kind of spasms. If Most people would normally get them when they go to bed at night. So therefore, I take it at least an hour before you go to bed. But if you get them after you sit down for your dinner, when you're watching a bit of telly, if that's when you get them, take it directly after your dinner. So roughly about an hour before the time you usually get muscle cramps. OK, hi. I'm on a lot of blood pressure tablets, but I'm getting a what I only can only describe as heart flutters. My doctor doesn't seem to be making anything of it. What would you recommend for a fluttering heart? Now, that is a difficult one, and there really is not much that I can recommend for that, Patricia, because... It depends why the heart is fluttering. Um, you know, and if the doctor's not making of it, anything of it, it's obviously following a normal rhythm. But a lot of people 
sometimes they would say, I feel my heart skips a beat or I feel my heart flutters, where it does actually have an extra beat or a beat less. And it doesn't cause any problems in terms of health. Um, but if you wanted to be sure, I, what I'd suggest there is making sure the electrolytes in your system were correct. Um, and they're the things that keep our heart beating and our blood pressure kind of working properly. So I know it seems to be contraindicated with high blood pressure, but I would get a good quality sea salt and I would put a, a pinch of that in with a litre of water and I would drink that throughout the day because that's the most natural way of getting calcium, sodium, magnesium and potassium in in a good ratio that we're used to into our bodies. And if you really are worried about the salt, you can actually buy those electrolytes. Um, lots of sports shops would have them. Again, you can add them to your drinks. And uh, that's just making sure that, you know, everything that needs to be in there for your heart to beat properly is. But it, again, it doesn't might work for everybody. OK, Pat and Bantry is looking for your recommendations, please, for very dry skin. OK, so with very dry skin, I suppose it's about nourishing from the inside as well as from the outside because you could put loads of creams on and a lot of people will find that it still doesn't make any difference. So that, I think, probably means that the oils are missing from the membrane, actually, of the skin cells. So I always think taking a high-quality fat would work very well for that. Um, I'd often see it for people with eczema um, that it benefits are people who have a very low-fat diet. Maybe you're not getting enough fat in your diet. So in terms of foods, increase the amount of oily fish in your diet, nuts and seeds and avocados, or you could take a tablespoon of olive oil every day. So this is getting all the really healthy, good quality fat into the diet. And if you don't like the idea of doing any of that, take a fish oil supplement um, or you could take an omega-7 supplement. So the fish oils are very high in omega-3s and they're good for skin and heart health and brain health. But the omega-7 are very specifically good for skin and eyes and kind of all the mucous membranes. So that would be putting it in from the inside. And then from the outside, we have a couple of creams here that seem to work very well. And the Hopes Relief is one that a lot of people get a great benefit from. That's Hopes Relief, and they do a great skin cream. Um, try and go for something with no chemicals in it. Um, and you want something that, you know, sinks into the skin because if it's sitting on top of your skin, it's not being absorbed in. So, like, that's why a lot of the time that emulsifier cream is no good, Patricia, because I just, it protects the skin, but it doesn't sink no, right it, in. It, yeah. it's exactly as you describe, it just sits on top, kind of makes it almost oily. Oily, Yeah, exactly. yeah. Okay, here's one that I, there could be a number of parents identifying uh, with this. Hi, I've got a very nervous little five-year-old boy starting school next week. What would Annalise recommend? Would Rescue Remedy help? I think it would, for sure, for kids. I think even the idea of giving them something that will help them feel strong is just even from a placebo effect yeah. would make a difference. But there are things that you can give to children that are anxious. Um, like the, there is kids magnesium, which is very good for relaxing, especially as well for kids who might be anxious going to bed at night um, and not sleeping very well. And there's also something called L-theanine. Um, it's spelled with a capital L and then the word theanine, T-H-E-A-N-I-N-E. And you can actually buy specific ones for kids, but I just say take the adult capsule version, open the capsule and put it into a yogurt um, and give it to them in, for breakfast before going out to school. And L-theanine is a wonderful one for immediate calming, like it kicks in in about 15 minutes 
and it really does just promote calm and focus. So it's a great one for kids because it does help them sit in school and listen and keep their concentration even if they're feeling a bit anxious. Okay, hi. Um, a listener says, could she ask Annalise, is there anything she would recommend for a feeling of fear and jitters inside? I've no worries and I lead a very happy life, but I've started to feel like I'm afraid on the inside, like almost like a bit of anxiety. It sounds like a bit of anxiety. Yeah. And I suppose sometimes we become so, um, you know, so inured to stress because it's like part of everyday life. You think, well, nothing's really changed, but now I'm starting to feel anxious. And it could just be a little bit of stress burnout that has gotten you there. Um, I often notice as well, it's a big one for menopausal women or for hormonal women coming up to their periods that you get anxious. Some people get cranky, some people get weepy, but a lot of people actually do get anxious. And one of the most common symptoms I'm seeing of menopause is anxiety. Women saying, I'm even anxious to go out and meet my friends. What's that all about? I never had that before. So there are a couple of things that could help. I think a herb called ashwagandha is a wonderful one to just kind of build up your stress coping ability. It's like it kind of gives you a strong core almost to be able to cope better. Um, We sell uh, one here that has got some of the B vitamins in there. It's a lovely product called Stress Vida. But you'll get that ashwagandha in any health shop. And that works in the long term just to help you feel stronger. And then in the short term, there's two options here. There's the option that I mentioned for the anxious kid, which is L-theanine. And the other one is CBD oil. Um, This is cannabis oil without the hallucinatory component. So you could take this now and fly a plane. You would pass every drug test. So don't get worried when you hear (laughs) cannabis oil. But it does have that very calming effect and it works extremely quickly. Um, You just put a drop under the tongue. So those those two, L-theanine and the cannabis oil, maybe don't have a long-term benefit, but they'll definitely help in the moment to take that feeling away. Okay, listen, have a lovely weekend. We'll chat again next Monday. Thanks, Patricia. Thanks, Annalise. And is Annalise uh, Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic. And as always, so much information uh, given out by Annalise. So this afternoon on her, if you wait, go onto her website this afternoon, uh, she'll put up as heard on the radio under healthhubstore.com. That's her website, healthhubstore.com. And of course, John Paul, when he's doing the podcast in the afternoon, will put it up on as a separate podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. I get it on c103. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for uh, producing today. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you uh, tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock for Tuesday's edition of the programme. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.